From off-Broadway to radio to whatever he does now, it's The Queer Centric with your host, Queerly Johnny. It's the interview so many of you have been waiting for. He's a columnist, he's an author, he's a sex expert, who you might recognize from his weekly column in Men's Health Magazine, Sexplain It. He has gone and written a book right here. I have told you guys so many times to go buy this, so hopefully you have. Uh, it helps to untangle the culture of shame around sex and our bodies. And we are so excited to finally welcome Zachary Zane to the program. Thank you for being able to make time. I know you're busy. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm super excited here. We have been talking about you on our show. I can't tell you for how many weeks now and how many messages I have got from people saying, do you have the book? And I'm like, yeah, you need to buy it. Like, don't ask to borrow it. We, we believe greatly in supporting uh, the people that we have on. But so many people are so interested in this. And partly, mm -hmm. I think that's just because you're talking about things we don't talk about. Not mm -hmm. as blatant as you do in your columns or in this book. And so the book, you call it a memoir. And I think it's part self-help inspiration. Can you give yeah. people who haven't seen it yet or haven't read it yet, give us a little, you know, little recap. And a little, a little recap, a little elevator pitch here. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So in short, this book is about how to overcome sexual shame. But I write it in my lens, in my voice, which is very bisexual, very sex positive. I talk about polyamory. I used to live with my boyfriend and my boyfriend's wife and my boyfriend's wife's girlfriend. That was a journey. Uh, I talk a lot about kinks in a way that I think we're often very nervous, uh, <laughs> of course, to talk about these things. So each chapter kind of has a little bit of a theme that's dedicated to something. So even though the book is loosely chronological and it's based off of my life, I know the first chapter, for example, is about the intersection of queer identity and mental health. I talk about having and growing up with OCD, terrible OCD, and how that impacted kind of this confusion and how I wanted to have this really sense of certainty with my sexuality that I needed. I became obsessive about it. Um, I have a chapter on rejection. Why are we so bad at handling rejection, navigating rejection, also rejecting others? I have a chapter about drug use and queer intimacy and queer sex because I, like many other queer men, did not have sex or hook up with a man sober for like five or six years. I was blacked out every single time because I had such sexual shame, such internalized homophobia and internalized biphobia, and I needed that liquid courage. Um, and then I have a chapter on just like grinder culture, you know, and like, and just because that obviously, if you're a queer man, you've been on grinder, you know what I it's mean? Some of us thing. are, it's a whole thing. And just like, it really needs to be discussed because it has such a huge impact on our identity, the way we view ourselves, the way that we approach dating, sex, love, and relationships. Um, so that's a little bit in a nutshell what this book is about here. Basically, it's about everything we could ever want to talk to. We're very sex positive on our show. So this is <laughs> natural for us to want to do this, but it never, it never fails anytime we do a sex show. Uh, it's a tug of war. It's, you know, people who don't want to hear it and people who are, who are down for it. But there are way more people secretly down for it than would ever say it publicly. One of the things I have to say about your book is you do the smartest thing when I started reading it and you provide a glossary of terms uh, mm -hmm. because there's so many, like even someone like me who's been at this for a while, there's still things I don't know. Can you tell me what is the most common term people just don't quite grasp yet? The most common term people, like, I think it's not necessarily a term. I think it's sometimes distinctions because we, we have a lot of words that mean similar things. So, for example, I talk about bisexuality versus pansexuality. And there's even debates within the bi and pan community as to what these labels and identities entail. So then it's like, you know, I'm trying to talk to my mom about this and she's a 70 year old straight woman and means very well, but she's like, I, I, I don't understand. I'm like, take a deep breath, you got this. But like, it'd be helpful if we agreed a little bit more, but I understand we don't. And for example, I have also like another distinction I talk about in clarifying is the difference between like ethical non-monogamy versus consensual non-monogamy versus just non-monogamy. So we right. have a lot of words that kind of mean the same thing and I think or, or have slight distinctions that are not universally agreed upon. 
And that's the things that people tend to have confusion over. Well, and someone like you who has built their world and your writing and everything about this, is those are those the things that you, everybody in that kind of world who is experts and is those the kinds of things that kind of get hung up on? It's, it's some people do and some people don't. Uh, I, I do not get hung up on it, but I, of course, want to be aware of the language that people are using. I want to respect what people are identifying as. Um, but at the same time, you know, for me, talking about the distinction between like bisexuality and pansexuality, for example, where I use the word bisexuality and people often ask me why, why considering that you're attracted to all genders, do you say bisexual versus pansexual? And I say, one of the things is, you know, I write for men's health. Um, and a lot of the uh, people we get viewing my articles are from SEO, search engine optimization. If I use the word pansexual, these closeted by dudes in their 50 would literally not be able to find my work. Exactly. And that is a big demographic of who I'm actually helping. So people know what this word is, whether or not they agree on the definition or not. And it has this historic identity that people can actually reach me. But if I use the word pansexual, they would literally not find my work. And these are men who don't feel comfortable going to out or the advocate or pride.com, right? These are men that only feel comfortable reading about queer identity in a place like men's health. So I would literally not be able to reach as many people if I used a more niche or neo-pronoun or neo-sexual orientation. Right. What did you think? So for me, this was helpful, but what do you think? Do you remember in Schitt's Creek where David explains how he's not all about the label, he's about the wine when he's trying yeah. to about being pan do you mm -hmm. think that did a good job or what what's your take on that I, I mean i am someone who likes using the word uh bisexual or pansexual whatever it is and a lot of shows although this is now recently changing but we saw this a lot in media where they would be like oh I, like they, they were so nervous of actually just saying the word bisexual and they use all these other kind of like I don't want to say euphemisms or, or like kind of like talking around it where I think uh, David was like, you know, I, I care about wine and not, the, it's like, you can say bi or you can say pan, like, like right. that, that actually describes it. And I think, you know, when we talk about visibility, actually saying the word is, is so yeah. important. And I understand why people don't want to. And I understand in part why a lot of these uh, new sexual orientations exist. A lot of it has to do with nuances and identity, which right. I completely understand. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's so many negative stereotypes and misconceptions and assumptions about bisexuals. And so when you say that word, you, you get all this flack towards you. Yeah. So it's a lot easier sometimes to use another word that doesn't have these negative um, associations with it right. and stereotypes versus for me, I'm like, no, I want to reclaim this word. And this word makes me really feel part of the LGBTQ community. Right. And what's fascinating, also, we're talking about the, the men who are trying to find your work, but maybe they can't because of that. Mm -hmm. And this uh, David from Schitt's Creek explained it in a certain way. There is a, a, a through line of shame that is such so prevalent in our, our world because we, we're afraid of fear comes from shame. And so I want to talk about you talk about in the book about when you were younger, when you were a kid. And you had a lot of, you mentioned OCD, you have a lot of fear yeah. and a lot of shame about the thoughts going through your head. And now we see this man now. How, how did that happen? You know what I mean? Got to read the book. Uh, yeah. th that's what it's all about. This whole journey. It's, it's almost, I think a few things somewhat happened. Um, I think being queer and being bi almost like like when I finally started re recognizing and identifying them attracted to all genders that I'm bisexual I was kind of like pushed the outskirts of society in a sense where it's like I wasn't accepted by straight people uh I often like gay people would be gay men were, were often very condescending they'd be like oh honey I was bi too you'll get there and it's like imagine if I said that about you being gay feelings oh honey i know you think you're gay but you're actually straight you'd be like that's wildly homophobic but like yeah. for some reason it's more acceptable to do with bisexuality 
So when I almost reached this point where I'm like, well, I'm not being accepted by other community. I, I'm just going to embrace all aspects of my identity. It's like, if, if you're not embracing me for who I am anyway, and I would like, it's like, it's not working trying to fit in. Right. So I think because of that, I was like, well, I'm bisexual and I'm going to be kinky and promiscuous and raunchy right. and I can exist, you know, uh, outside these heteronormative ideals because I'm bi. So I can explore things like polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. Right and things like that. So I think, I honestly sometimes wonder if like you, like, I don't want to say I'd like less to lose, but I wonder if you're like a straight dude with a lot of sexual shame. I think it's like, it's almost like you are at least a part of this world and accepted in a way that gays and queers are not that you, I could see why it'd almost be tougher to break free uh, from that. But I I think that was a comment, like, so that was part of it. Another part of it is I was just unhappy. You know, yes. you know, that's the truth of it. Like I was unhappy. I was anxious. I was depressed. I was drinking extremely heavily. I was doing a shit ton of drugs. Like, cause I just didn't want to think about this and obsess. And like, oh, so I don't want to say you had like nothing to lose at that point, but, but it's like, okay, this is clearly not working. Uh, so what, what if I tried treating my, what, what if I have sexual pride? Well, what if I'm someone who becomes sexually shameless and yeah, people are going to disparage me, but like, I, I think I'll be happier. I think I'll be more fulfilled. And in that vein, I also really worked hard to surround myself with a sex positive queer community. And I think that is just so huge and so important. I think sexual shame, uh, thrives in isolation. You know what I mean? Like if you are alone and by yourself and you you feel so alone and so separated, don't feel like you have a community and you have no one to talk to and you feel disgusting or different or like, then it's really tough. But when you have other friends who support you and love you, who are not shaming, and gays can be very shaming. I, I think we know this yeah. too. You know, gays can be very sex negative as well. And I think yes. often that comes from a place of maybe jealousy or insecurity, whatever it is. Right. But like, it's, yeah, I think it's really important to find your people. Yes. And that's huge. And that's had a big impact on me. Exactly. And I mean, that's in so many ways. We tell people all the time that you need to curate the people you have around you, you know, because so many people can steal your shine. One of the things is you talk in the beginning about how, quote, men don't have a healthy relationship to sex. By and large, they have been left out of the sex positivity movement. Do you think yeah. it's because... I think sometimes straight men can have that passing privilege and you don't want out of that comfort zone because you know, you've seen what happens out here. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's way bigger than that, but what, how, what do you, what do you think about that? That quote that you did? Yeah, I, I think that's a part of it. I think there's this idea of that sex for men and specifically straight men is easy. There's this idea, it's like, you get hard, and you just fuck hard, and you come immediately, and you have no problems with uh, erectile dysfunction, you're never worried about your penis size, you're horny all the time, so I think there's this misconception that just, like, sex is somewhat easy for men, and we're horny, and we just want to fuck, and therefore we don't need any help. Um, and then I think there are elements of, you know, toxic masculinity, which the phrase I know has almost lost certain meaning, because people overuse it, but this idea of of being afraid of asking for help, being afraid of being like, hey, th- this is actually quite intimate for me. This is not just like casual sex. And I don't like casual sex and I have a lot of feelings and emotions involved. And men have been taught to suppress those feelings and emotions yeah. to appear more masculine. So I feel like this is idea that it's easy. We are afraid to express our emotions. We know we'll be ridiculed if we um, admit that we have problems. Uh, so because of that, it kind of creates this cycle of just not talking about it, not being included, and men not specifically seeking help. And vulnerability is, especially for men, is not a prized aspect of our lives. You know, like you said, anytime you share more, you know, than the, hey, the game was good last night, a lot of straight men have not been taught to go beyond that or that they even it, are allowed to. It, it, they're not allowed to. and. For me, and there's still, you know, it's women who buy into this for straight men or men who date uh, women, whether you're straight, bi, whatever. It's um, women also buy into toxically masculine tropes. It's not just men, too. So there will be women who 
purposely do not like you being vulnerable, do not like you crying, do not like seeing you soft, you know what I mean? And we'll make fun of you and they want a man's man. And what I try to tell guys is like, don't date those women. Exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, there, there are also now plenty of women who do want someone who's more in touch with his emotions, who can communicate more effectively, um, yeah. who, yeah, you, you know what I mean? And so like, don't, yeah, like a lot of this book too, and a lot of my thoughts are, is just like, if you're not wanted here or you're not with these people, go find your community, go find your people. And that's the same for dating. So if someone wants you to be hard and masculine and that's not who you are or you feel fake, don't do it. Find, find women who embrace you and accept you for who you are, for well, being and vulnerable what, and for like, being human. Yeah. One of the things I keep thinking is to be anything in your personality 100% of the time is not possible. A human being not. can't always be uh, hard and masculine and all the time because he is a human. So to expect that of this person, there's a reason why there are so many uh, you know, people having breakdowns and not because you can't keep that up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. I also wanted to say you give a great quote in the book from Justin, I think it's Lay Miller, right? From the Kinsey Institute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you say one re or he says one reason uh, is that our ideas about sex and sexual morality have a long religious history behind them. So they've defined normal for us. So your book to me is all about trying to untangle that shame. And it is, he's very true. It comes from so many decades and centuries of religion trying to tell us what is okay, because that's easier way to, to control us. Yeah. How, do you, how do you build that? You're trying to build this amazing thing. Is it ever like overwhelming that that's such a big idea to untangle? It's such a big idea to entangle. And I always try to tell people like, you have to learn to develop your own thoughts and have independent critical thinking. Um, and so, and whether it is, and I talk about that like often in the context of actually polyamory or monogamy is kind of the easier example where it's like, there are a lot of polyamory people, polyamorous people who are very like, honestly shitty towards monogamous people, very condescending, very pedantic and very much just like, oh my God, you're jealous and insecure. This is not natural. Like you clearly are not working with your insecurities. You're relying on the structure of the relationship. Uh, and you actually don't even trust your partner. Like it's controlling, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not one of those people. My, my thing is like, if, if you just go to default monogamy because you think that's the only thing it is. Yeah, I, I think you should question that and be like, is this something for me? If you understand monogamy, you understand polyamory, you've explored both. I don't mean necessarily tried it out, but you've read about it. You're like, you know what? I don't think that's for me. I'm choosing monogamy because if I lived in a society where even monogamy was not the norm, I, I would choose it. Those people I have no problem with. Those people right. I respect. And I think we can extrapolate that to kind of everything else. When we think about the sexual shame we experience, I'm often like, Whose voice do you hear? Is it your voice? Is it your mother's voice? Is it a preacher's right. voice? Like, are these actually your thoughts? Or are these the thoughts of someone else? And so you have to learn how to develop your own sense of self. You have to develop what you think is right and wrong for you. Uh, and then that's what allows you to have sexual freedom. And that's what allows you to kind of go against the grain here and push back. Well, I think you said it uh, when you said the word respect. I think it's not only about, you know, the, the non-monogamous being disrespectful to the monogamous. You even mentioned it earlier. It's about, especially with bisexuality, there is still, I think we've come a little bit, but there's still this vein in the queer community where there's not respect that this person, no, they're not stupid. If they say they're bisexual, let them be what they say they are. And so I think it, there's it, a respect it, problem. It's there's a respect problem, and even I'm just like, and let's say they end up coming out as gay because I don't want to pretend that people don't use it as right. a stepping stone. There's still plenty of gay men that do identify as bi and then later come out as gay. So, what like, 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 it, like, it doesn't like what you're just trying to be like really proud of yourself for being condescending towards someone as they're figuring yeah. out their sexuality and telling them who they are. Like, there's literally, no, even if they do realize they're gay, you shouting it at them is not going to help them. They're going to feel like shit and dig deeper exactly. into this. Or they actually are bi, at which point you're just being an asshole. No exactly. matter what, you're being an asshole. But, like, no, we have a respect problem with, 
everything. You know, it's like there's still some infighting between bisexuals and pansexuals, which I find ridiculous. But I'm like, you guys, we're all on the same team here. And I'm like, bi people treat pan people with respect. Pan people treat bi people with respect. Exactly. Respect people's you know, identities. Obviously, same thing for trans people, non-binary people, respecting people's pronouns. Like, it's not hard. That's the thing. And I don't like when people make it seem like, oh, you know, it's like, especially the like, you know, they, them, like, it's just so hard. I'm like, it's not hard. I'm sorry. Right. It might be slightly confusing at first. And you put a little bit of effort in and you will be okay. Like, like exactly. people are like, oh, there's so many new labels. I'm like, what? You, you haven't learned 20 new words in your life? Like, remember when you were in high school and you do 20 new flashcards? Spend an hour looking up these 20 words and exactly. learn them. Like, like, it's not that hard. And like, it, it, people seem to be so discouraged by any slight imposition. And I'm like, fuck. Like, yeah, everyone's like, how do you keep up with these labels? I'm like, have you not learned anything since you were 18? Can exactly. you, do you not have, like, are you, like, I just want to be like, are you dumb? Like, 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 literally that's what it is. Like, like, yeah. if, if you don't read books, then just say that, like, like whatever it is, but like, it, it's frustrating. Yeah. It's just like, put in the minimal work to show that you respect exactly. people. Exactly. And I think of, uh, so partly I think we need to remember, like, do the compassion thing. Remember what it was like if we're queer, what was it like when you were coming out? Did you do well when people yelled at you and told you you couldn't be queer? You know what I mean? It's like, remember, everybody's journey is their own and it wasn't always easy for you. So maybe don't make it harder for people over here. And the other thing yeah. I think, shame is, especially in our culture, shame is insidious. It is some people who didn't even have a religious upbringing. It gets in there and they don't even know why they think that, but it's it, culture has put it in the back of their heads. It, that that's kind of what I really try to lay out in the first chapter of the book where I'm like, I grew up in the sex positive household. I had gay uncles on both sides of my family, my dad's brother, my mom's brother, like, and I knew it was fine to be gay and, and queer. And I still had so much sexual shame because as you said, the word is insidious and it's pervasive. And like, so I picked it up from the media. I picked it up from my teachers. I picked it up from my peers. Like, unless if you live in a nudist commune in the middle of Idaho without any internet and you like, maybe you don't have sexual shame, but if right. you exist in a society and you grow up in the world, then yes, yes. then yes, you're going to, you're going to um, experience it and internalize it. And I think that uh, we are taught this whole comfort thing, which is if your path is going this way and my path is going this way, this person is always like, you know what, if you just come over here, I'll feel better, you know, because we, when we need to celebrate that we are, there are so many ways. My hope, like I'm, I'm on the gay spectrum for sure, but my hope is like, I see someone like you and can we just evolve to where everything, you know what I mean? To where it's less about these reasons we're different and it's more about just, and I know that's a hippie-esque thing to, to think and maybe it's not going to happen in my lifetime. But that's what I but, wish we could get to as humanity. I mean, that's the goal. And, and I mean, even a hippie or not, like, no, of course, that's my goal as well. But like, it, it's recognizing, you know, the people who are not respecting other people, the people who are whatever it is, questioning or being antagonistic or being catty, whatever it is, they're not happy people. You know what I mean? Like, these people are not fulfilled. These people are like, like, so it's also, I don't want to, I want, I do want to extend slight sympathy towards them. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. I feel like we have to show them some compassion for them to do it. Right. But it's like, I've never met someone in a monogamous relationship. Like plenty of people in monogamous relationships shit on polyamory or polyamorous people. Never met someone in a happily monogamous relationship shit on a polyamorous person. Yeah. They're like, oh, oh, that's interesting. I don't think I could do that. But if it works for you, I'm happy. It's right. only the people who are like, I'm miserable in my relationship. You're not, this is an option that I am not taking, even though I want to take it, or at least am enamored by it, you know, and I feel very stuck where I am. And so obviously they're projecting their own insecurities onto you. And a lot of this is, this animosity, this lack of respect is obviously projection, but still, sorry, your insecurities, your anxiety, your trauma, whatever it is, is not an excuse to be an asshole to people. So you also need to work on that as well. I'm sorry. <laughs> My religion is don't be a dick. You know what I mean? It's real simple. It's very simple. It, it, it's uh, not that hard. I love uh, 
in this book, I love the ownership of who you are, especially when you talk about bisexuality, because we've had uh, people on our show that identify and we talk about how it hasn't been easy. And I was just actually our intern who's here tonight is bisexual. We talked about something you talk about in the book, which is it took a while to where you were able to embrace that part. And he talked about how it took a while for him to even say the word and make yep. that okay. How did you get there? Whew. Well, uh, again, read my book, Boy Slut. Am I more? No, but it's, um, so I was somewhat lucky in a sense where like throughout college, I was very quote unquote confused. Uh, I'd hook up with guys, not sure if I liked it. I'd be blackout when I did it. And being so drunk kind of gave me an excuse or justification, you know, I was like, oh, I, I, I'm actually straight, but when I'm drunk, you know, whatever, I'm out, I'm out, the whole, whatever it is. And no one kind of told me like, well, if you do it drunk, you probably might like it sober. You know what I mean? But right. so, right. but I, I was really confused and had a lot of like sleepless nights where I'd be like, what am I? Am I gay? Am I straight? At the time, I didn't think bisexuality was an option. I remember Googling like bisexuality, I think freshman year of college. And the only thing that came up about bi men was like bi men having or spreading HIV. Right. Um, and then like 10 things to never say to a bisexual person. There's no actually like content for like a bi person confused with his identity. Like, and I really filled that niche. That's the stuff that I started writing about because I didn't see it. Um, but after college, I specifically sought out an LGBTQ therapist, um, like affirming therapist. And I, I, he was an attorney for 20 years before I became a therapist. And I was like, uh, hey, I, I really want you to be blunt with me. And I'm choosing you as my therapist because I, I want you to have that legal brain. And I really don't like the therapy. It's like, well, what do you think? I'm like, by the time you've asked me what I've thought, I've thought about it 5,000 times. I, I need some outside perspective. Fine. So my first session, I go on this extremely long monologue about how I'm confused. And I think I like God, like, I hook up with guys and then, but I know I love women, but then like I get drunk and hook up with guys again. I'm not even sure if I like it, but why do I keep doing it? And I, I but like, I like having sex with women, but I think I got like, whatever. Right. The whole roundabout monologue, similar to what, what I just did. Second session, I start again with this kind of the same exact monologue, which is again, a monologue that I've been telling myself for the last five years. You know what I mean? It's the same thing I've had this sleep. Like, what am I? And he goes, Zach, I'm going to interrupt you because you're repeating yourself. I go, okay. He goes, I'm going to be blunt because you said you'd like me to be blunt. I go, fine. He goes, um, you know, when we say the word confused in like an LGBTQ context, like that actually is, has a meaning to it therapeutically, which I wasn't aware of. And he goes, you seem very clearly bisexual. Is there something I'm missing? And I quickly responded, oh, that shit doesn't exist in men. And he responded, Zach, you're too smart to think that, which is such a like, not, like such a good jab, you know what I mean? Where it's like attacking your ego in a way, being like, you're a smart dude. Like in what world would this not exist? That makes no sense logically. And you're quite a logical person. Yeah. And even after that, though, I thought I was like bi dash sexual, but hetero romantic, which means, you know, yes. I can sleep with guys and girls and people of all genders but i could only date and love and have emotional feelings for emotional romantic feelings for women and while that is a valid sexual um orientation or identity that was not mine that was just internalized by phobia and i wasn't willing to admit that i could love a man and i think you can live you know if you're bi-sexual but heteroromantic you can live a decently straight life in a sense where it's just like, okay, so you get blown in a sauna once in a while, you hook up with someone on Grinder, But besides that, you can kind of have a straight life versus like, if right. you have a boyfriend, no, no, like this is your politics. This is your identity. This is your community. And so it felt it, it was more intense, you know, to, to, to have love or to know I have the capacity to love a man. Well, you even mentioned in the book that there actually was a study done where they said bisexuality can't happen in men. You know, yeah, that was a study at Northwestern. I think it was in like 2005. And yeah. it was this like shoddy, shoddy study that had few participants, small sample size, and they like measured erections while looking at porn as if like, that's the one way to determine sexuality right. is just like arousal. 
like from one porn and it was just like what the fuck and like like it just shows you like how like it's just amazing that was published because it was just like such terrible scientific methods that should would not be allowed in any other section like lgbtq research it's somehow allowed uh, to do this but and then they did it whatever like six years later or something they're like we redid the study it turns out bi men are real and it's like also your study (laughs) methods were ridiculous like what like it was just ridiculous what was so sad about that is that's a study that I'm, when you were first mentioning it in the book, I thought that had to have been like 1952, but no, it was 2005, which tells yeah. us, wow, we, we did have a lot of work and we continue to have a lot of work there. We can continue a lot of work. And I do want to say, since I've been writing and I started writing about bisexuality, like professionally in like 2015, early 2015. So it's been eight years now we have made leaps and bounds in terms of bisexual visibility. And I do want to give credit where credit is due. You know, when I was writing, there was, I was the one bi guy writing about this. You know, there were a few other, I don't want to discredit other people, but the reason why I was able to kind of get to where I was professionally and gain notoriety as a writer was because I was the one person doing this and no one else was doing content the way I was. And I really started speaking you know, as I kind of spoke about in college, I only had like studies about when I Googled bi man studies about HIV or 10 things to never right. say or bisexual. I started writing content for bi people, like bi bi people, where I'm like, how to deal with internalized biphobia, how to date when you're bi and women and men don't want to date you. When can you call yourself bi? Because some people are like, well, I'm married, to, I'm a woman married to a man and I'm monogamous, but I know I love women, but I don't plan on cheating on my husband. So like, it feels weird for me. And like, so actually answering these questions and providing nuance in this identity, instead of just spending all of our articles justifying our existence and the fact that we're real to gay and straight people. But if you Google this stuff now, you're seeing so much more of it. You know, we had red, white, and royal blue just come out, you know what I, I mean? Yeah. And like, what, what what great bisexual visibility? I mean, I mean that book. I read the book, whatever it was, a couple of years ago when it came out. Yeah. Like, it's clearly not for queer men. I mean, it's for straight women. But like, in yeah. the movie, they kind of queered it up, where they like spoke about Grinder a little bit and had like the Lady Gaga concert jab. But like, it, it's not a movie for queer men. But yeah, fine. It's still it's but like I'm just imagining if I was fucking. Oops, sorry, I shouldn't curse. Like if I was can cuss on this um, show. All right, good. Like, if I was eight and I saw that, I think that would have changed my life. I, I, I genuinely think knowing that it is real, seeing it in this way, having Uma Thurman come to me and say, I'm accepted and loved in her Southern Texas drawl, like, right. uh, that she deserves an Oscar for alone right. for that accent right. that was so impressive. Um I think that would have changed my life. So like, like we are making leaps and bounds and I do want to acknowledge that. And I'm happy to be at the forefront of that. Well, I think you say it right there. I mean, that is, we talked about it before. It is now representation changes the world. And so you are so like trailblazing in the fact you want bisexuals to feel like they can feel legit. You started something, what was it? Bislut? Is that- yes, 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 yes. And I need to do it again. I like, I haven't. Oh, let me explain what this first here. I'm getting yeah, ahead of myself. Yeah. It got me excited. So <laughs> by slut is a sex party that I threw. Um, and I had thrown a couple that were just like all men, but I really wanted to throw a by one. And the way I like described it was it's for by men and their admirers. Um, so it's not just like only by men are allowed here, but it's like, I want female partners who often don't feel comfortable going into a gay space with their bi boyfriend because like, oh, we're like the straight couple in the space and you get looks while making out. And don't get me wrong, I understand why gay men are protective of their spaces. But like, so I'm not being like, oh, you should allow like seemingly straight people to come in and make, like, right. no, no, no. Like I understand why you're protective, but I wanted them to feel comfortable. I wanted like non-binary and trans bi people to also feel comfortable in that. And every sex party I'd been to, and I've been to many sex parties, hundreds of sex parties in my life, are very much like gay, obviously just gay men, straight, and that it's like older, usually older swinger culture, um, or the queer ones mean 
women hook up with women and the guys don't really hook up with guys. So I wanted it where it's like, I want to see a guy getting pegged by his girlfriend while sucking a dick at the same time. I want to see, like, I got DP'd that night by two women with a strap on, uh, which was, the, the mechanics of that are extremely impressive, if I may say so myself. But like, and the thing is, you know, it's very easy to reduce this to be like, oh, it's just about sex. Right. Like that's not big of a deal. But I had a few guys come up to me and this one guy comes up to me and he's like shaking and he's wearing a harness over his uh, shirt and maybe a little bit older than the average age there, maybe late 40s. I'd say the average age was like 30 something, mm-hmm. uh, early 30s. And like he comes up to me holding hands with this woman. And he goes like, hey, I read your work. I came out as bi. Like me and my wife were like on the fence. We almost broke up. I came out as bi. Our relationship has never been healthier. I wanted to thank you. And I just started crying. I was so happy. And I had a couple more of those experiences over the course of the night. But like, it, it, it actually felt like a community space. Being celebrated for being bi. Not being afraid of being intimate with my partner. Because, oh, women are around. Oh, men are around. And everyone you speak to is bi. And seeing bi sex in this way. Like, it, it's this impacts your mental health. This impacts your sense of self. Like, it impacts how you view the world like it's not just about sex sex influences so many aspects of our life and that's why spaces like this are, are important beyond pleasure well i think you you say it right there uh you mentioned gay spaces those are very important but you know what is important safe spaces for everyone so you created yeah. for bisexuals a space which i don't think has been created much before where there yeah. was that space to find them so i mean even the responses you got are from people. It's because it was more than just sex. It was about finding exactly. themselves and permission to be themselves. One of the things about your book that I was so like, I was curious about the book. I wanted to read the book. I had no idea you were going to be so vulnerable and tell us everything. I, I said, really everything. <laughs> Fuck me. How do you uh... do that? How did you find that? It's such a brave thing to do. You black out while you write the book. And what I mean by this is like, I write it and in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write everything out. And if I decide later, I want to cut it, but let's at least write it out and then decide later if I want to cut it. And then you end up not cutting it. But if I had almost allowed myself to think about the implications or knowing that shit, the entire world's going to read this book. Uh, my family is going to read this book. Every person I date might read this book and is going to know all the stuff about me. If I had really sat down and thought about it, that would have inhibited my ability to be as vulnerable and honest. So I, I just somehow compartmentalized and blocked it out and wrote and then proceeded to have multiple freakout sessions in the months leading up to the book when I'm like, oh my God, I, can I not change my address? Like, you cannot change this. This, this yeah. has gone to print. Like, you're, you're fucked, my dude. But like, um, but I think I almost, yeah, I think I had to somewhat block it out because otherwise I would have not been as honest or vulnerable. And I'm really, in the end, happy I did, but it was very, I was extremely anxious leading up to this book coming out. I love it. I tell so many people when I'm talking about this book that it's not just a really great read. And I always tell them it's a ride for sure, but it's important. Conversations like this need to happen more and they don't. And I have to say, so I'm reading your whole book. You are so open about everything. And yet I can read in your writing when you get to the kink part, where you get to talking about being on that panel, you can feel that that was, there was trepidation. And so it meant even more to read that oh he's going he's going to tell us something that is this very is going to happen and you did it and that has to be that's a huge like breakthrough i would say and i think that is probably one of the if not the most important chapters um in a way i think kind of some of the most important chapters were the ones that i received the most most flack for which kind of makes sense because it's the stuff where i'm not just being like oh like be respectful of bisexuals which is like i feel like most people can agree to that but the stuff that might be a little bit more controversial is the stuff i've received more slack for but the stuff i think is the most important yeah. that one it's i think we all or not all of us i think there's some people who are perfectly vanilla and very happy being vanilla but a lot of us have so much shames for our desires and i get this as the sex columnist at men's health 
there's so many questions that are just the, the, uh, the question directly underneath is, am I normal? Is this normal? Is it normal that I want to have someone piss in my mouth and call me a faggot? Like, is it normal? I want to get spanked and let on a leash by a milf. And it's just like, kind of by first, I try to like dispel that there's no such thing as normal. Like the one thing that's normal is actually being abnormal. And we all have different kinks. And that's kind of the point. And then being like, even if you have a kink that has a 0.01, normalcy is often like equated to um, prevalence. So they want to be like, am I normal means like, do other people have this? And it's like, that's a faulty premise. Even if no one else has this, that doesn't make you abnormal. Uh, Makes you more interesting, makes you have a niche. But like, even if only 0.01% of the population has your kink, not 1%, 0.01%, like that's still... 800,000 people, right. if I did the math correctly. And now that we live in the era of recon and fat life, like it's actually easier to find people that you have a match yeah. with. Um, so a lot of that is just kind of giving people permission. And so I share my more intense kinks to be like, oh, you think you're fucking crazy or wild? I'm doing this. And if you can, and you might outmatch me. There are plenty of people who outmatch me. Right. Um, you know, and I'm like, and it doesn't matter. So it's really important to share that uh and to be like hey you're like you're okay yeah you, you really are okay and while i didn't want to write that chapter as i mentioned in the book i'm like it would be hypocritical for me to be like i want you to embrace your kinks and be honest about it that said there's a difference between like i'm looking at like my sales right now how many people have read the book or whatever and it's like like ten thousand people and it's just like well now ten thousand strangers know, know about my kink i was just trying to be like like tell your partners <laughs> Maybe tell a few friends and talk about it. I wasn't necessarily saying like advertise it to right? the world. You can. Yeah. Um, and it is funny. I've had sex a few times, not even doing the crazy kinky stuff, but like I felt like this person was like reading my mind oh. in terms of what I was into. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, Zach, I heard you on this podcast talking about all your kinks. So I knew what you were into. And I'm like, honestly, this is kind of great for me. This right. is actually phenomenal. So maybe well, advertising it to 10,000 people would be the correct thing to do. I mean, it'll cut through everything for those 10,000 people. You know exactly what you're going for. I also have yeah. to say, even if you're, by the time you get to that point in the book, even if that's not your kink, there is such empowerment even for people reading it if that's not your kink. It's just no, the whole point. No, I, I, yeah, I'm not assuming this is your kink. The whole point is just because no. Like, no matter yeah. what your kink is, it's okay. As long as it's yeah. you know, consensual and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And I have to say, so as we wind down a little bit, I could probably talk to you about your book. I just wanted, I was like, maybe he'll just read the whole book to us. That'll be fine. <laughs> you need an audio version because we're in for it. But I do have an audio version. You did? It's on Audible. Yeah, oh, I, I, I recorded it. It is on Audible. It's an Audible Everybody original. Buy something, whether it's the hardback. I love a good book. I love a good hardback book. So either go out and get this because this a book like this should be on the New York Times bestselling. I'm because we need to open up. You know what I mean? I really wanted this book to be on the New York Times bestseller list, and it was not. And of course, everyone wants this. There's still an opportunity, especially when it comes out in paperback, because yeah, sales have been good. People really like it, but yeah, it, please, we have I talks. I'm sure it's reaching the right audience. We're in a sometimes very uh, conservative area over here because we're in Eastern Washington. But we have I've had so many talks with people going call your bookstore to see if they sell this. I want to know, because those are the bookstores I want to support because they're not afraid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. So I want to, as we wind down, I want to ask in your opinion with this, how do you, because I feel like the book is about dismantling a culture of shame, especially when yes. it comes to our bodies and sex and all of that. Mm-hmm. How do you even begin? Like if you were giving someone advice about how they can begin in their lives to dismantle this culture that is so prevalent, what would you say? I mean, so tough to, like, where to even begin? I mean, get into therapy, always, if you look yes. on these issues, see where it comes from, uh, try to, try to re- I always try to say, like, get to the root of your shame. You know, like, really, when you figure out where it is coming from, who it is coming from, okay, this comes from the fact that I was brought up in this church that told me this, uh, and you're able to pinpoint it, then you can kind of then give it the middle finger and move on. But if you just can't pinpoint it and it's just this nebulous shame, it's very difficult to overcome. So I think really trying to get to the root of it, unpacking it, I think reading as much as humanly possible, you know, reading books like Boyce Slut, there are other many sex positive books out there. 
uh, a quick Google search will show you. Make sure to read those books, read articles, and again, surrounding yourself with a sex-positive, shameless, shame-free community. And so if you're, if you're around other people who are judging you for your behaviors, you're not going to be able to overcome it. You, you really need to find that community. And I know that's hard. That may be like you have to uproot yourself or like find completely new friend groups. I'm not saying that is easy. But we also right. do live in the area of like social media and Facebook groups. And there are meetups and there are ways to reach out to people online. So yeah. um, I think that's part of it, too. Well, and I think uh, it harkens back to this idea that we used in the gay community and coming out that it, on the other side, it does get better. So it's allowing yourself the permission of the freedom. If you do, yeah, it takes work, like you said, but the freedom of owning who you are far outweighs any of that. It gets better on the other side. It looks terrifying, but I promise if you make the leap, you're going to make it to the other side. And I think Absolutely. that's, yeah, if you had, Give me a few hopes that you had for this book, and it can be New York Times, it can be deep, but what were a couple of your hopes when writing this? I, I mean, my hope was it reached the audience who needed it the most. Um, and I was a little bit worried with a title like Voice Slut if that would somehow hinder people from picking it up, because I don't necessarily want to just reach out to the people who already know this information or who have this information and it's still great most people read it and they love it it's a fun read and they still learn new things but i really wanted it to reach the right audience and it seems in part that it has of course it can still reach more people but i still get the book came out may 9th and so we're at august 30th right now so three and a half almost four months and i still get a thank you message pretty much daily from oh. someone about how this book has changed my life and please keep sending them because i also get vitriol and hatred and hit pieces and negative nasty things all the time too so everyone's like oh i'm sure you're tired of hearing this i'm like i am not tired of hearing this for the love of god keep telling me this um and so that is just the fact that i've been able to have a positive impact on people's lives and people being like i was able to embrace my bisexuality I opened up my relationship in a way that I hadn't been. I communicated my sexual desires to my husband in a way that I had not. Um, I started going on grinder apps and hooking up with people in a way that like, I was so afraid. I felt so much shame for doing this before. And just hearing people's stories have been truly phenomenal. So that's been a hope and I want that to keep going. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I really wanted was to have a really awesome book tour and I did. So that was very cool. And I, I was all over. I was like LA, SF, Chicago, Boston, a bunch of New York, Nashville. I was in Missoula, Montana for their pride. I was asked to you speak. So close to me. So I, I, right? <laughs> a stone's throw away. And like, that was pretty cool when you have, I get to see readers who've been reading my work for so long. I'm like in Nashville. And a lot of people like came up from like rural Kentucky two hours away to see me because they were like so excited. And I'm like getting to actually meet and talk to the people who I'm reaching, like as, as opposed to just like comments online was just a really incredible feeling. And then the last thing obviously is like an unfortunate reality is sales. You know what I mean? Sales, yeah. I would love to, I've been a New York Times bestseller. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah. There's going to be the LGBTQ, like various book awards that come up, like the Lambda Literary Awards and Stonewall Awards and hopefully get nominated and well, they have like a bisexual book section and I'm like how many bisexual books are there <laughs> like, like like at least have to be nominated like what they're five nom I can't even name four other ones that came out this year like I, so like I, I should have a chance there but I, I, it'd be cool to get a little bit more public accolade and I know that's like but like it matters and stuff like that so like sales and a little bit more awards would be kind of cool and that's the last thing that I haven't quite received just yet but there's still definitely hope. And there's got to be hope. I have to say, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been uh, highly anticipated for me to interview, but also for the people I've told that we were going to interview you. And if you were one of those people, go out and buy uh -huh. the book. We need to support uh -huh. important work. And this we is need very here it is. Oh, there <laughs> it is. Sorry, I was using I, it. I was using it to boost up my computer here. Right? But here, here she is, all of her glory. Love uh, it. Boy, slut of memoir manifesto. And it's so worth it. Like I said, very important. And also, 
we barely scraped the surface of what you will get yeah. when you read this book. There's so much more to it, which is why it's exciting. So I would suggest to anybody, if you like a good read and uh, you want to learn and grow as you do it, please go get this book. Call our local bookstores uh, and encourage them to sell it because, uh, sir, I'm so excited that you've done this. Yeah. And I know you did a you did a book prior to this with you partnered up with someone. So I'm hoping you'll do more books, more, more, more. Oh. Absolutely. Uh, the next book I'm going to write, and I'm figuring out the dynamics, is going to be a novel, which is exciting. So a little bit different. It's still going to be very queer, very bisexual, very sex positive. Um, but you know, it's like I, I wrote my memoir. I can't write a memoir every two years. Like I, right. I said kind of what I wanted to say. Right. So kind of moving on from that. Um, one other shameless plug. So I have this like yeah. nonfiction erotica zine. That's like kind of like yes. my Substack, my newsletter. And that is also called Boy Slut, which is either great branding or confusing. I, I still don't know yet, but that differs from the book. That is just like raunchy, real sex stories. Yes. So like I have a lot of wild sex. It is graphic. It is explicit. You will absolutely come to it. And I also have other writers now submitting. So I get one or two pieces from someone else that I edit with and work with. And that it's been this passion project that like blew up. And people love it. And I love writing it. So so it's a really yeah. fun thing. So if you do if you Google voice letter, it will come up. It's on Substack there. And then my Instagram is Zachary Zane underscore underscore at the end is the last one. And I have to say all of those uh, stories have the greatest titles because how can you not stop and read it? There's no way. Uh, I very much pride myself in my titles. The titles in the book were good. The chapter yep. titles and the chap yep. and the titles like are just so over the top and ridiculous that I, I I like pride myself in my titles and the fact that I've been known for it makes me very happy. So the fact that you said that actually brings yes. me uh, immense joy. So I appreciate it. Oh, of course. Thank you again. Uh, this has been an amazing experience for me. So remember everyone, our show drops every Tuesday at thequeercentric.com. Check us out on all our socials because every like is more important than you understand. Also check our guest out. Uh, amazing work, amazing writing. Uh, very much all of it is worth it not just this book but all all of your work so thank, thank you, you everyone and to everyone out there we will see you next week bye, bye.